Let me know when you're ready. All right, we're going to pray, so I'd appreciate you guys. Please agree with me in prayer because these, work, these sermons go out, and I want to make sure that we cover it in prayer. So, Father, we lift up this whole time in the Word right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. We love your Word, and the Word of God is so important. This is something that, that uh, you know, if we just had the move of the Spirit and we didn't have the Word, it would be, be flaky and weird and get in deception and error. We love the Word. We need the Word. And Lord, we ask you to come mightily upon this time that you would anoint me and speak through me your word and a strong anointing. Let it go out. And I pray right now that every person that's hearing this, the Bible talks about eyes to see and ears to hear. Let your Holy Spirit, Lord, just captivate every one of us to, give, to help us to lock in, to help our minds to be focused and not distracted, our eyes and ears to be eyes and ears of the Spirit, our hearts to be in tune with what you're showing us. And Lord, I pray just let your Holy Spirit is captivate every person and help us to lock into what what are you showing us you know help us Lord to really receive now I pray that also as you speak through me let it be as living seeds of truth sown out in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that are prepared by the spirit and those those seeds of truth the word of God will take root be watered by the Holy Spirit in people take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes and Lord, we pray that the winds of your spirit carry this word everywhere it's supposed to go and your mighty angels watch over it to make sure it's going to accomplish what it's supposed to. Because the Bible, we stand on the promise. The Bible says that your word will go forward and accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. So Lord, we declare that not only this, but the sermons, the word of God through this ministry, they will go forward. It's your word, not ours. It's not our opinion. It's your word. They will go forward and accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. And Lord, we pray that... Um, that the birds of the air are not going to be able to steal the seed. As it's the demonic father, we take authority. We bind up anything of the enemy that in any way would try to hinder this word of the Lord in any way from getting where it's supposed to do or accomplishing what it's supposed to. We bind them and we command them to go now. And Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let there be a sword to penetrate. Let there be a mighty hammer that breaks down every stronghold. Let there be light of truth that shines and dispels all the darkness lies and deception of the enemy and brings truth and revelation so lord we commit this time unto you let everything be accomplished in through the word of the lord that you will be done in every life in jesus name we pray amen all right i love the word and i'm gonna tell you where would we be today without the word of the lord you know there's there's a lot of things out there and if it wasn't for the word there would also be a lot of deception a lot of confusion amen so we love God's word. All right, I'm going to share tonight um, in a series about what brought revival. And just like tonight, the Holy Spirit just, man, over this last year even, we have just seen such an increase of the anointing, an increase of God's presence, an increase of what God is doing. And I believe that we're supposed to be going from glory to glory. Now, I love, I love revival. I've read and studied a lot about revival. And there's times where God will sovereignly move in geographic regions. And that's just a move of God. Somebody prayed that in and God moved. But I believe as Christians, we should be living in a continual place of victory and freedom and breakthrough. Amen? And it should be something going from glory to glory to glory. All right. So as I'm talking about what brought revival, I'm going to be dealing with Isaiah 58 tonight. And this is part eight, and in this, I'm going to be talking about prayer and fasting, all right? So, 
I'm going to start out with this, Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist said, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and not fit to remove, I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So this is a reference of Jesus Christ as uh, John the Baptist is talking about how Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire, okay? So God is wanting to purify us. I love the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we pray for that, and God touches people, and, and there's a clothing of power. But there's also a baptism, not only in the Holy Spirit, but with fire, okay? Now, I'm going to ask if y'all would to help me tonight. It's as little moving around as possible. Help me to be able to focus and everyone to be able to get this, okay? But there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And God wants to baptize us with fire and purify everything out that needs to go. I think a lot of times Christians, here in America especially, but it may be a problem all over, but a lot of times people accept sin and other things in their life in part they accept things that God never wants us to accept. And a lot of times people get a mentality like we can never really truly be purified or I'm just going to have to live with this certain level of freedom. I'm going to have to live with this certain level of cleansing. And, and they almost accept a place of, of defeat and a, and a place of struggling that God's never called us to. But how many of you guys know that if, if you'll get serious with God, because I'm dealing with prayer and fasting tonight, if you'll really get serious with God, and you'll pray, and you'll fast, and you'll get on your face about these things, God will send a fire, and he will burn that out of you. Okay, God is just as, con he, God is more concerned, I would say, with us being pure than even our desire to be. And so God is wanting to purify us. And so with that said, Isaiah 58, I believe, gives us a pattern for perpetual revival. Everybody say perpetual revival. God wants us to go from glory to glory. God wants us to go from a place of where we are right now that we're always moving forward and upward in a greater realm of his presence and power. He does not want us to get to a place of being stagnant or sterile. I think a lot of times people plateau. I believe a lot of times people get into a place where they're in like some kind of a spiritual wilderness you know, God's never called us to that. He's wanting us to keep moving forward. I want to know things that God has taught me out of his word next year that I don't know right now. I want to go to a place of being more on fire next year than I am today. I want to be more fruitful and effective for the Lord in the days to come. Too many people are living like their greatest days are behind them. Our greatest days should be in front of us. And we're moving from a place of victory to victory. All right, so I'm going to give you a few scriptures tonight. This is a little bit different pattern than what I normally preach, but I want to show you about Isaiah 58. This is a pattern for us to continually live in revival, okay? All right, number one is Isaiah 59, verse 1, and it says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters witnesses, or, or wickedness, rather. Isn't that interesting? 
That God is the problem is never with the Lord. The problem is with us. And if we're willing to get purified, are y'all hear what I'm saying tonight? Are we willing to really let God do a deep consecration in every one of our lives? God's had to do it in me. When I accepted Christ as Savior, I still had to be free from some things. I still had to be purified. God had to do a work in me. And I know he's had to do that in you as well. So anyway, as I say this tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the fact that it's, God is wanting to do this deep purification, but our sins many times is what is blocking. You're going to see this as we go. So look at 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. My, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. So there's a pattern. We're starting to develop a scriptural biblical pattern now that if my people will humble themselves, that's number one, and we'll begin to pray. Now let's build on this. Joel chapter one, the people of God had gotten into sin. And because they allowed sin, now there came God's judgment. And we read the story about the, the military forces of the enemy began to come in. God began to allow judgments and plagues. It was hurting the, it, you know, the economy of God's people. They were living in bondage to the enemy. And God told them, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the remedy to this situation. You got in sin. Now the consequences are upon you of that sin. You see what I'm saying? There's a bondage now. The enemy's at work now. Now there's plagues, there's judgments, but there's a remedy. And he said this in Joel 1.14, Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil. And you will be satisfied in full with them. And will never again will you be a reproach among the nations. But I will remove the northern army. That's the, the military force of the enemy. How the enemy was oppressing God's people. He said, I will push back the enemy. It will come about, and then you skip now to verse 28. We're all familiar with this. Joel 2.28, I believe. It will come about after this, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So God shows that whenever there's sin, it's hindering our prayers from getting answered. God shows when we tolerate things in our lives that shouldn't be there, that now the enemy starts coming in. There starts being bondage to the enemy. There starts being judgments. That, and you know, God's not up there. Let me say this. God's not up there like a big boot in the sky that every time somebody does something wrong, it's like just ready to squish people like a bug. That's not how it works. God has set principles and motions. In motion, rather. He said that, you know, I will bless those that, that are obedient to my word and there's judgments for those that are not. And it's based on our decisions. But whenever we start living in sin, we're going to reap the problems associated with those sins. But God said, look, if you will humble yourself and you will pray, and you'll fast, and you'll seek my face, I will intervene, and I will drive away the enemy, and I will give a breakthrough. 
So let me give you one more scripture now, Isaiah 58, starting with verse 6. This is what I wanted to get to. So how do we fast appropriately? God says, is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke and let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. So you're seeing here that God is trying to show us that if people will humble themselves and they'll pray and they'll fast the right way. And right here he's saying to loosen bonds of wickedness and undo the yoke, to quit being oppressive to people. If you've been mistreating others, if you haven't been right, that you repent of that. God's saying if you'll, if you'll honor the poor, if you'll give to the poor, he said in verse 8, then your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will speedily spring forth. That can read your, your healing will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Now everybody pay attention to that. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. See, people want answers, answers to their prayers, don't you? But God is saying, if you'll follow this scriptural pattern that I'm giving you, if you'll do this, he said, you'll call to me and I'll answer you. And then it goes on to say, you'll cry out to me and I'll say, here I am. The nearness of the Lord. How many want God to be near? If you remove the yoke from your midst. So quit, again, it says, quit being oppressive to people. How many people out there, maybe they're you know they're they're a manager in a workplace or maybe the way they treat their family but they're oppressive they're mean they mistreat others and God is saying quit being oppressive number two the pointing of the finger quit blaming other people quit speaking evil of other people it says here quit speak, speaking wickedness quit gossiping quit being a talebearer, going around spreading gossip and speaking wicked about people the Lord is saying here if if you'll repent of these things okay in verse 10 and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like the midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters do not fail. That's continual revival. That's a continual flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. In verse 12, those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up age-old foundations, and you'll be called the repairs of the breach, the restorers of streets to dwell in. You know, you look out at the landscape of the body of Christ, you see so many things that the devil has tried to attack and just demolish. But you know who, among the generations of times past, when you study church history, who were the ones that helped to be restorers in their generation people like wesley people like finney just to name a few they were people that were given to prayer and fasting they were those that in their generation were disciplined in prayer and fasting and following this pattern and they were used of god to rebuild ancient ruins that the devil tore down and not only that they are also among those that leave a legacy how many want beyond your lifetime that your life had an effect on your descendants and had effect on many other people even beyond your days and it's going to be those that are given to prayer and fasting look at this for a moment it says you will rebuild ancient ruins 
you'll raise up age-old foundations you know the devil's tried to attack foundations biblical foundational truths are being tested in our generation even the gospel even the validity of the scripture things like that you'll be called to repair the breach there's broken down walls that the enemy's been coming through but you'll be able to help rebuild like nehemiah rebuild spiritual walls of protection and restores of streets to dwell in so here is the pattern in the scripture if you put all these scriptures together that i read we see that the problem is sin but we god has given us the remedy and if you put all these scriptures together there's a pattern number one is humility the bible says that god will give grace to the humble but he will oppose the proud the bible says in the book of psalms that god is close to the humble but he knows the proud afar off and we know that pride comes before destruction the bible says and a haughty spirit haughtiness comes before a fall into sin so pride is a very dangerous thing it's what turned lucifer into the devil pride was involved in the fall of man and that stubborn pride will keep people from really getting answers that god wants to give them so the first thing we need to do is humble ourselves and whenever i do a time of prayer and fasting one of the ways i humble myself is to literally lay on my face when i pray i want god to know that i'm humbling myself before him and i'm being serious i'm not too proud to get on my face before the lord and i'll lay down on my face and i'll humble myself in prayer and i'll begin to talk to the lord about things but we need number one to humble ourselves before him and realize that he is an awesome god number two is prayer we need to petition the lord and be specific what are things that you're believing god for make a list and when you get on your face before the lord have that list with you and be specific and offer these things up to the lord in prayer and number three is fasting fasting biblically has to do with food okay you can add to food other things like daniel did but it is food and the power of fasting there's so much to it but i know that it's very interesting because in the garden of eden adam and eve were told not to eat something that they ended up eating and fasting is the exact opposite of that it's where you're abstaining from something that's permissible but god has given us this opportunity to fast where you're willing to give up food you're willing to give up some things for t for a period of time to really seek the lord it's like you're giving up natural things for spiritual pursuits and it's a way of humbling yourself you see in the scripture that every time you see sincere fasting you see people really humbled themselves in biblical times they would you know clothe themselves with sackcloth which was uncomfortable and they they would put ash on their head and they it was a way of humbling themselves before the lord but i believe that if we will follow this pattern and the bible also says in isaiah 58 to give okay and it refers specifically to the poor listen giving to the poor is a big deal with god and I've, I've talked a lot about this but god really cares about the orphans and the widows 
and God is he really cares about those that are out there that are hungry and that need help and his heart goes out to them and Psalms 41 it gives a, a bless a list of blessings to those that will regard the poor and it says specifically you'll be counted among the blessed of the land how many want that and he said, you will not be given over to the desire of your enemies. Everybody has various enemies. But God says, if you'll regard the poor, I won't let them have their way in your life. You will not be given over to the desire of your enemies. And the Lord says, I'll heal you from sickness. That's a promise connected to giving to the poor. And then it says that I will raise you up out of a sickbed and I will deliver you out of trouble. So there's times where we're in trouble and we need God to come, come through for us, isn't there? Well, in those times, God's, God's going to remember those that regarded the poor. I always go back to the story about Cornelius in Acts. I can't remember the exact scripture off the top of my head, but you can look it up. But it was time. The gospel started in Jerusalem and through Philip it had gone to Samaria but predominantly i mean the gospel was just among the jewish people scholars debate between seven to 13 years that's all it was and the hub of what god was doing was through peter and james of course was beheaded and john there out of jerusalem that was like the the mother church in jerusalem and and it was jewish well god wanted the gospel to break out and go to the ends of the earth Remember, Jesus said it will be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? To the ends of the earth. And so God wanted the gospel to break out and get to the Gentiles also. When it came time now for this extremely significant thing to happen, who was God going to choose for now the gospel to open up to the Gentiles? And this was a major thing. It was a historic thing. God sends an angel to a man by the name of Cornelius. He was an Italian man, a Gentile. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Cornelius and listened to what the angel said. He said, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms to the poor have gone up before the Lord as a memorial offering. I want you to send for Peter, who's in Joppa. But he said that your prayers and your alms to the poor have gone up before the Lord as a memorial offering. So when it came time now for God to begin to do something significant, he found a man who was a man that was humble, he was a man of prayer, and he was a man that would, he cared about the poor and gave money to, to take care of the poor. And so Cornelius sends for Peter. Peter comes, and he had a couple of, people with him traveling with him and they were all jewish and they get there at cornelius's house and peter said well why'd you send for me the holy spirit told me to come and cornelius told him this angel appeared to me and told me to have you come what do you have to say to us and peter starts preaching the gospel and listen to this the people that were with peter were absolutely astonished because the holy spirit fell on cornelius's whole family and it says in the Bible the same way the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And so when it came time for God to pour out his spirit, he found a man like Cornelius. 
And I know I'm talking to River of Life. You guys, it's like preaching to the choir. I think by and large, people are tithers and givers. But let me just tell you, and I know you know this too, God's not going to pour out his spirit on the stingy, greedy people that won't give and that don't care about the poor. He'll go somewhere where they are givers and they do care about the poor. All right. So you have humility. You have prayer. You have fasting. You have giving. And now, number five, consecrating your life. What did we read through here in Isaiah 58? If you'll stop being oppressive, quit mistreating other people. See, a lot of people want to come to God and they just cussed out their kid and they just backhanded their wife and then they want to pray. Oh God, hear my prayer. God is wanting, he's going to move in the life of people that are going to stop being oppressive and mistreating others, number one. It said in here to stop the pointing of the finger. Quit blaming other people for things and accusing others. How much of this accusation business goes on? The Bible says in Revelation, I believe chapter 12, but it calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. How many times is there all this false accusation and criticism and negative garbage going on in the kingdom? And God is saying, I hate it. Quit pointing the finger, quit accusing people of things, quit speaking evil, and it says here, quit speaking wickedness, quit gossiping, quit with the, the evil talk. If you'll repent, and you'll start treating people right, and you'll stop being so negative with your mouth and hurting other people, and you'll, you'll do right. So number three is, is really repenting, really consecrating our lives. We're making sure that we're going to forgive everybody we need to forgive, and we're going to confess any sin we need to confess and ask forgiveness and let God cleanse us. I believe based on the multiple scriptures that I just read to you, and there's many more that we could look at, I believe that this pattern is a pattern for major answered prayers. Major answered prayers. I had a woman that was an intercessor and uh, years ago back in the 90s there was a couple ladies that were uh, you know in their 60s 70s and I was at the time I was extremely young uh, this was probably at this time I was in my early 20s and I remember that I was just helping out in a church with some of the young people but I had a heart for prayer and God had really touched my life of revival and God sent these two elderly ladies that were intercessors, and they would spend time with me at, at church praying and teach me about prayer, etc. But I remember that one of these ladies told me, her name was Ruby, and she's really sweet, and she told me this, and it's so true. She said, you know, Scott, she said, a lot of people know how to have, a lot of Pentecostal, spirit-filled, full gospel people, they know how to have revival. They know that prayer and fasting will bring a revival. She just said they're not willing to do it. She told me that many, many years ago. And I still remember it like it's yesterday. And it's so true. You know as well as I do. Some of you guys have been in church a long time and has grown up in church. You know that the spirit-filled crowd knows exactly how to have a move of God. They know that, that they'll do this, that they'll call sacred assembly. They know if they'll gather the people. And they'll call a fast, 
And they'll, they'll tell people, look, we need to make sure and repent of anything in our lives that's not right. The pastors start preaching that way. And they'll get people praying. They'll have prayer meetings. And they'll fast. And they'll get things right with God. They know that God will pour out his spirit. They know it. And many of them have a history of things either in their church or their denomination where they can point to it and say that's exactly what has happened in times past. But they're not willing to do it now. So we're talking about now redigging wells of revival. I'm going to shift gears and I'll, I'll close out with the, what I've been talking about, but just follow me. Redigging wells of revival. There's places that God has moved in times past where it seems like his image still lingers and there's still something there. Many people, as a matter of fact, there were prophecies even, I believe, even before what happened in Pensacola Starting in 95, there were prophecies about Azusa Street in Pensacola. Azusa Street, Pensacola. There was something that was connected to the Azusa Street revival that broke out Father's Day in 95. But look at this. In Genesis 26, verse 18, Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. And the Philistines had stopped him up. The enemy came behind the spiritual father and try to stop up the wells. When you're talking about a flow of water, you're talking about rivers, what did Jesus say? From our bellies will flow rivers, okay? This is speaking of the Spirit. This is a, talking about the move of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm speaking here in, in the way of a metaphor, but God had Abraham dig these wells. There was water that was flowing, and then the enemy came in the next generation and tried to stop it up. How many times have we seen God move in previous generations, but the devil came behind that move of God and tried to throw dirt on it and stop up what God was doing, and then you have a generation coming where God's not really moving. Somebody needs to get out a shovel and start praying and fasting and redigging that well. There's wells in Dallas of a great healing revival that we all know about that goes back to Christ for the nations. There's wells in this nation that God has moved in times past. His image still lingers. There's still a water under the surface if somebody will pray and fast and tap into it. And I think about the places that historically you can look. There's a saying among those that know about these things that the places where martyrs have died, it's, that there's a saying that says where the blood of the martyrs is, is the seedbed for great revival. God does not forget sacrifice. I think about the heritage of those that's gone on before us. That if they've literally blazed a trail for us, those that were persecuted in their generation for the move of the Holy Spirit. I think about William Seymour and others in that generation, 1905, 6, 7, 8, where, where the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully through the Street, but yet the people that were being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and God moving in their lives were persecuted in their generation. After them, the latter rain revivals of the 40s and 50s, the charismatic move in the 60s and 70s, People were persecuted in that generation, but they were faithful to blaze a trail for you and I today. There's no, re no reason why we can't tap in to the flow of the rivers of those that's gone before us. Now, let me give you an example 
one historic example of what I'm talking about. There was a man by the name of Carlos Anacondia who God moved mightily through his ministry in the 80s and really I would say even to this day but definitely in the 80s and 90s the Argentine Revival. During the height of the Argentine Revival there was more people being saved, born again than there was natural births at that period of time. There were churches that had to stay open 23 hours a day they had to have shifts to accommodate the people that were getting saved literally this is not an exaggeration they would set up a tent and stay for a period of time but by the time they were done with with a crusade in that region there was whole cities sometimes that would have come to christ and there were such incredible moves of god that, that brother carlos would get up and he would begin to take authority and he would say listen to me satan i bind you you're going to release these people and they were people by the hundreds that would fall under the power manifest in demons and they had to have tents set up to drag them into and get them all delivered incredible healings and miracles signs and wonders there was even one story where there was um you know like in the book of acts chapter 19 where paul sent handkerchiefs and aprons where some lady brought a handkerchief to brother carlos to pray over because she couldn't bring her son he was in a home and he had down syndrome and other medical conditions that he just couldn't come and so Brother Carlos prayed over the handkerchief and sent it back with the lady. The lady goes back to this home where they had been taking care of her son. And she takes and she puts the handkerchief on her son. His facial features start immediately changing and he's completely healed. Another lady that was sitting right over across the way, her son had almost identical conditions. That's why they had him in the same room. She runs and begins to fight the lady for the handkerchief, overtakes her, gets the handkerchief, throws it on her son, same thing happens again. There's story after story after story like that. You should read his book, Listen to Me, Satan. It's an incredible, life-changing book. But it did not begin with Carlos Anaconda in 1982 when he started his crusades. It began way before that. I'm talking about wells. I'm talking about a heritage. I'm talking about tapping into something that was before you. Okay? There was a man by the name of Edward Miller who was an older gentleman that had, well, in this day, this day and age I'm talking about, he wasn't an older gentleman. But when Lila went in, to meet with him and, and interview him, he was elderly. And she got this account directly from him. But he said that back in the 40s, him as a missionary, he was in Argentina, and he said it was like the heavens were brass. He said that new age and the occult type of philosophy had come in. He said there was just corruption, that, that there was no move of God that he knew of. Churches were struggling, ministers were struggling. As a missionary there, he was struggling. He simply went there and began to do what missionaries do. I mean, he began to take you know, gospel pamphlets out and try to witness, and he said it was extremely difficult. Nobody was receptive, and he was frustrated. And God began to speak to him and told him, I want you to devote eight hours a day that you would normally work, nine to five, you know, that you'd normally be working. And what you've been doing is you've been going out and trying to witness and all this. But he said, I want you to devote eight hours a day to prayer and seeking me for this nation. And so he began to do that. His other missionary friends and people persecuted him a little bit. It's like, man, you're being lazy and all this, you know. And they didn't understand, but he heard from God, so he stayed with it for a while. But eventually, 
after doing this for a while, praying eight hours a day, he still wasn't feeling like anything was happening. So he was getting frustrated. And he told the Lord, he said, by this deadline I'm setting, if something doesn't happen, I'm getting my pamphlets back out. I'm going back out again. As he said, I'm not sure that I heard from you because there ain't nothing happened. And so while he was um, praying and everything, he was reaching the deadline that he set for the Lord. And right before that, another missionary had a son that was rebellious and away from God. And he was very frustrated and brought his son to Edward Miller. And Edward was talking to him and it wasn't really going anywhere. But before the conversation was up, the Holy Spirit began to move. And that young man broke down and started weeping and really truly repented and gave his life to the Lord. And as that missionary left with his son, that he was really excited, God spoke to Edward Miller and said, look, I can bring them in anytime I want to you get back into prayer and so he goes back into prayer and God speaks to him to up his prayers and he said I want you to start calling a nightly prayer meeting from 8 p.m. to 12 midnight and just people that are that are going to come he said you tell them that unless they're going to stay the whole time don't even bother to show up and Edward thought well you know nobody's gonna come but I'll do it and so he he's made the proclamation and a few people came now this is not like the uh, you know the a team this would be like the B team that came right he said that a, a timid little servant girl came and a backslidden man who had been resisting the call of God on his life and his wife came that's all it came but they were willing to come and pray from 8 to midnight I know I've said this in this series, and it's the sad truth. Why is God not really moving in a lot of places in America? Because you'll call a barbecue, and everybody comes. You call a prayer and fasting, nobody comes. All right. So they had this prayer meeting night after night, and Edward Miller said it was dry. And he said, man, it was difficult. And he thought to himself, they'll probably not show up tomorrow, but they did. He thought to himself, we might have missed God. And so after the prayer meetings, he was just desperate, man. He would say, look, the, to the three that were with, did God show any of you anything? I mean, anything. Did you, did you see anything? Did you feel anything? Don't be shy. Tell me. He was just desperate. And he said that night after night, nothing really. But this was going on for some time. I'm trying to make this point. This wasn't like the next day. Well, after a period of time, he, he asked again this night, did anybody get anything? And this, this young lady said, well, I know it sounds silly, but God, I felt like God wanted me just to strike the table and just, just hit the table in the middle of the room. <laughs> and he thought, well, dear God, man, if he spoke to you, you better do it. Because, I mean, we've been praying and nothing's been happening. And he said, look. And she's like, well, I feel silly. He said, okay, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm going to go strike the table he's going to strike the table then she will and you can go last and so they went and they all hit the table this is a true story and he said when that young lady came the last one and hit the table let me read to you what he said he said immediately when she struck the table a rushing wind swept into the room from the southeast corner and in seconds 
The retiring, timid servant girl was on her feet, worshiping the Lord in great ecstasy. Her hands raised in the air, her face transformed, radiating the joy and the glory of the Lord as she spoke in tongues. The backslidden, rebellious man who had consistently resisted the call of God over his life fell under the table and began to worship the Lord in tongues. His wife cries out, I too, Lord, and she broke forth in tongues. Something shifted in the heavenlies that day that paved the way. So let me go on with this story. Because somebody went before Carlos Anacondia. Are you following what I'm saying? He comes along in 1982, but somebody back in the 40s was paying a price in prayer and fasting, and they were digging a well so that subsequent generations could tap into that. Now, that's not the end of the story. Finally, after all this time of being frustrated, giving out pamphlets, nothing happening, praying and it was dry, having other people pray with him and nothing seemed to be happening, now something broke open. He said it was like the heavens open, the Holy Spirit began to move really powerfully among them. And so now he started a Bible school and young people were starting to get saved and coming into this Bible school. There was around 50 and God was really moving. Now listen to what happened. So during the days now of this Bible school, he's got all these young people and the Holy Spirit's moving now. There was a young man, extremely uneducated young man that had come in and one night, he went out in the woods and he was just praying by himself. And the Holy Spirit came so powerfully upon him and he looked and an angel of the Lord appeared and he got scared half to death, man. He jumps up, he takes out running back to the dorm. Somebody had locked the door, he's beating on the door. He gets the door open, he runs in, slams it. The angel came in right behind him. The Holy Spirit, when that angel came into that room, the people that were there said that the presence of God came into that room so strong it just was like taking your breath and the power of God hit now listen to what happened that whole Bible school they shut everything down they said forget classes they Edward Miller said that he did not think that people could weep this much and shed this many tears he didn't think it was actually possible he said that people would lay there under the power of the Holy Spirit weeping in intercession for Argentina and he said he would look, and they were there for hours. And he said that tears were streaming from their face and going down like little crevices, and they were forming puddles. He said he did not think that a person could cry that much, that it would form a puddle. He said that people were under such a burden for Argentina. They were weeping, and, and they were under the burden of, of a lost generation. They were confessing the sins of that nation before the Lord and they were saying father forgive us Lord for and they were repenting and they were sincere about it and this continued on for a period of time God was birthing something and during this time the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully that this young man that was that was so uneducated and, and I'm not sure he even knew how to read and there was another young man that was similar in that respect but Edward Miller said that they one of them was caught up in a vision and God was showing him all the places that he was going to pour out his spirit in the last days. And this young man was, was saying all of this. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit here. But as he was speaking, they said that they were trying to keep up with him, but he was going really fast. And to make things more complicated, he was saying the names of cities and nations in their native tongue, which he would not have known. 
But Edward Miller said, obviously, he knew English, and so he recognized Toronto, Canada as one of them. This was back in the 40s. And so this went on for a period of time, and Edward Miller said it was, just, it was a suddenly, when that angel came, it was a suddenly, and they spent a period of time in prayer and fasting and repentance, and they wept like he didn't think you could weep. And finally, th there was one day that it was just like they couldn't pray anymore. And there was a prophecy that came that said, the lion of the tribe of Judah has roared over Argentina. Your prayers have been answered. After that, there was a great move of God that broke out through a man by the name of Tommy Hicks. Now this was, I'm talking about Edward Miller was in the, the 40s. I believe Tommy Hicks came in sometime in the 50s or the early 60s, but right in there, Tommy Hicks felt the Holy Spirit tell him, I want you to go to Argentina, and I want you to hold a crusade there. Everything was shut down. Perón and them, they were not going to let somebody come in and just, you know, uh, rent like a stadium and, and have some kind of gospel crusade. But Tommy Hicks felt that he had heard from God. And so he went there, and, and they have in Argentina the pink house. It's kind of like the White House here. And he went there to talk to the president. And he goes there, and, you know, the secret servicemen and all this. And, and Tommy's just this... Uh, you know no name evangelist and and the guy is coming up to him like well what do you want and he said well i need to talk to the president he goes yeah okay and tommy really prayed about it to make a long story short the president had been sick and he had had i believe if i remember right he had had some kind of a skin disorder and it was serious and and he said to this young evangelist he said hey you think that god can heal me because the evangelist was saying i want to hold a healing crusade and the president said, do you think that God can heal me? And Tommy Hicks said, I know he can. And reached up and grabbed him and prayed. And his skin totally healed right there in front, not only them, but the people that were present. And so now he has great favor. And the president says, what do you want to do? He said, I want to rent a stadium and have a healing crusade. And the president said, you do whatever you want to do. You have my support. He ran a stadium and God came down. I mean, people by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands came they gave their life to Christ. Major miracles broke out. But it all started with Edward Miller's group praying. Before they got the breakthrough, the heavens were brass, and that would not have happened in Argentina. Something had begun. There was a rumbling. Then you skip a few more decades, and there's a man by the name of Carlos Anacondia who was not somebody that was out of Bible school. He was somebody that owned a nuts and bolts factory, and he was just a no-name person. But the Spirit of God came upon him and laid on his heart to start going to the ghettos and the slums where nobody else would go and set up a tent and begin to preach. And so he began to organize prayer. And there was such a power. He had a group of people that were prayer warriors. And he actually would set up um, a stage. And you know how you have to climb up the steps and get up on the stage underneath there was intercessors that would kind of crawl up under that platform and they would be praying and interceding during the whole crusade and that and many believe that was actually the real power behind what was going on but they would pray carlos and condi and them would pray and fast until they felt that god had went before them and had bound up the forces of the enemy so that they could go in there unhindered and they would set that thing up and they would begin to invite people and god came down and that was the great 
Argentine revival that I described to you earlier with the signs and wonders and the great deliverances and all these salvations. But listen, it all went back to a frustrated missionary who would not give up in prayer. There's people that have gone on before us that have blazed a trail in prayer and fasting. So let me close out with this tonight. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And I'm going to add fasting because of the other scriptures. They'll seek my face. They'll turn from their wicked ways. The Lord says, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. We have seen history has proven that people in their generation that will devote themselves to prayer and fasting and get serious with God and they'll repent that God will show up in a phenomenal way. And I believe that God is wanting to pour out his spirit because the Bible says in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I believe that we're living in the last days and I believe that God is wanting to pour out his spirit all over the world. He's just looking for people that will get hungry enough and get serious enough that they will humble themselves down to the ground. They will pray. They will fast. They'll, they'll give. They'll consecrate their lives and repent. And they'll unify. And, it, and when they do that, God says, there's a place that I can pour out my spirit. So the question tonight is just simply this. Will we be those people? Throughout history, there's been those that would, and I want to be one of those, amen? But I believe that's why God has been moving powerfully here, but God is wanting to really break things open in this region and in this nation, but it's going to be those that will really pray.